What is happening, everybody? Welcome to Off the Rails, a recovery podcast dedicated to ending the stigma of addiction through open discussion on all things recovery related. My name is Mark. With me always are Dave and Jared. And today we have a special guest and Dave's going to introduce her. Yes, absolutely. We're super excited to have our next guest on. She is a mother, a wife. Uh, She's sober AF. Uh, She's a sober (laughs) coach. And she's trying to share uh, her story and uh, to help others. You can find her at shaysober.com. It's Shay Mitchell. Hey. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Anytime. Um, so Shay, what we do most times, uh, we have our guests on. We get them to share their stories, their struggles with addictions, and what they're doing in recovery. And uh, once again, we're very thankful to have you here sharing your story. Uh, we see you on Instagram all the time. And I'm just super thankful to have you. Well, thank you. Thanks. Uh, Yeah, I'm really thrilled to be able to share my story here because I don't have this kind of a platform like you do. You know, podcasting is so different from Instagram where it's just pictures and memes and stuff. So thanks. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'm excited to chat. Awesome. Okay, so Shay, so tell us about yourself. Where are you from? I am from Utah, born and raised probably going to die here. I like it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's beautiful there. It is a lot. Um, I actually live in the mountains in a ski town. So very touristy area, but it's beautiful, really good skiing. So lucky. Do you ski or snowboard? I tube. Oh. <laughs> no, I, you know, I, I skied as a young one and then kind of fell off because it got a little pricey to ski. Um, but we're going to try to get the kids and us on the mountain this year and make it happen. So, yeah. Sweet. Okay. So born in Utah. Um, how was family life growing up? You know, I, <laughs> family life was actually good for the most part. I, um, I grew up in a religious household, household. A lot of people are probably familiar with um, the Mormon religion in Utah. A lot of people associate that, and it's pretty true. There's quite a quite a few of them. Um, so I grew up in that religion. It's also known as the Latter Day Saints. But they, you know, they teach not to drink alcohol, no drugs, no sex before marriage, no coffee, even just some really strict rules. But I also have an addict father. So he, you know, smoked weed as a teenager and just that kind of evolved. And, you know, he was smoking um, meth and crack and doing cocaine and all all of that through through my childhood. So it was a little bit confusing to grow up in a religion that told you not to do all these things, but then have a dad that was purchasing. No doubt. Was your dad a part of the church or was it like your mom or? Yes. um, They call people that 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 do these things that but try to also live the principles of the church jack mormons (laughs) where you know they they say or they preach it but don't necessarily live it very confusing so i i actually identify with having some religious trauma because of that just having questions and them not being able to be answered honestly because i don't think my parents even really knew how to how to answer them because yeah just growing up in a different time where we didn't have as much technology and a lot and people being able to discuss these things with one another like we have on social media just a lot of different times 
Yeah, that's what like I was going to ask kind of, is it hard to have those principles pushed on you and then see the, like say your parents not following suit with those principles? Yeah, so they would, both my mom and my dad would drink alcohol, but turn around and say, go to church on Sunday where they teach not to drink alcohol. So very confusing there. My mom did end up stopping drinking when I was around 11, 12, um, just for her own choices. She actually doesn't have like alcoholic tendencies, as I would say, she, you know, it was just more of it wasn't serving her anymore. Um, but yeah, that was very, yeah, just confusing is, is the best word I can think of. And also kind of pushed me to probably rebel more because I'm kind of one that one of those personalities, like tell me not to do something and I probably will do it. Now were your parents, were they, uh, were they hiding that from, from other people or was it known in their social circle that they were drinking too, or was that kind of hidden? I think it was kind of, you have your drinking friends that aren't in the religion and they would hang out with them and party with them. And I would see that a little bit. And the, you know, my dad also had siblings that have some, alcohol issues and they would get together and drink um it was just very convoluted saying one thing and doing another and then they would have you know their religious friends that it just wasn't talked about or like i guess just never discussed yeah I th so i think it was kind of a double life a little bit shay so you know you grew up in this family it was religious and um tell us about kind of your first time like uh drinking so actually, I, because of the religion, it, you know, I abided by the rules for most of my childhood. I, I was scared. I had fear shoved down my throat through this religion. I, I had this all-knowing being watching me at all times, and I was afraid to really make any mistakes at all. But I ended up leaving the church in high school when I, you know, really started having questions about it and not having them answered. And it was at that point that... Luckily, I fell into the right friends with high school who didn't drink, but still were very accepting and non-judgmental, and so I felt safe with them. Um, and so I didn't drink until after high school, but I got married very young. I married my high school sweetheart, and as soon as we were out of the house, it was like, hey, let's let's find a way to do this. I mean, our first time drinking, we went to a 7-Eleven and found a stranger to go in and buy us like Bacardi raz or something like those alka pops you know how old so, uh, how old were you then 19 oh yes the old 21 drinking in the states yes, yes. yeah that yeah oh, exactly yeah. We can't yeah. yeah sweet so how was that experience so my first experience with alcohol I actually didn't that night that particular night I didn't feel it I think I had three of them and I didn't feel it which was confusing to me <laughs> for it to be my very first time drinking and not feel anything. Okay. So we got some friends who are a little bit older to actually get us some hard liquor. And I was like, this is, this is the medicine. This is what I have been looking for. This is, it lets me come out of my shell. I had, I was the self-described shy girl in the corner growing up. I just, I wanted, I had this inner want to be, to fit in and to be with the popular crowd and all that. But 
I just couldn't get myself there. But once I found alcohol, I was the life of the party. And I liked that. I liked to not be inhibited and to just let loose and not give a flying fuck what anyone thought either. It was just like, okay. And that, I mean, that was the beginning of the end. Obviously it was a progression for over 16 years, you know, so 19 and I didn't get sober this time till 35. So a a 16 year progression to my, what I call acceptance or click, but yeah, it was the, it was the cure right away for me. Yeah. I can relate to you a lot about that, like about that coming outside your shell and uh, yeah, being the life of the party but it gets uh, old really quick. (laughs) It does. And what happened was because I had experienced some trauma as a child, not only the religious trauma, but I also was sexually assaulted by a neighbor at age 11. um, And I probably didn't get as much help for that as I needed and just stuffed it down for a long time. And so when I found alcohol, I also was able to kind of let those things surface for the first time, made me feel pretty crazy because I didn't know what was going on. And I was so young that my young husband had no idea what was going on either. He was like, where is this coming from? You know, like, I thought, I thought you were chill. Like, I thought you were a pretty down to earth girl, but you get drunk and like these crying fits and just like, can't breathe, I, you know? And I didn't even know, it was just, it was very confusing for me. And so, um, yeah, that young marriage only lasted about two years. How old were you? Big part of that, 19. When you got married. 19. Mm-hmm. So being out of the house and having that ability to let those things surface was scary. It was, it was scary. And luckily I was able to move back home um, after that marriage. So I was only I was just barely 21 when I moved back home, finally of drinking age. Oh, and that was a whole ordeal too, because my parents knew that I drank, like I had been out of the religion for a while and I had kind of, you know, pushed that, like, don't try, don't put your stuff on me. I'm, I'm a drinker now, just like you guys don't, don't come at me. Hey, you kind of mentioned that it was like a progression. Um, Mm -hmm. Would you be able to speak on the progression and kind of like what it looked like at first? And then, you know, over 16 years, like what was it looking like at the 16 year point? So, you know, like I said, started at 19, those, that two years of marriage got pretty crazy because I didn't know what was going on. So I got divorced. Well, because again, of the religion, how I was raised, divorce was a lot of shame. I, that immensified and amplified my drinking. I started working in the restaurant restaurant industry so that I could sleep all day, waitress at night, go out and party, sleep all day, work at night, go out and party. Big cycle. I actually met my current husband during that time pretty quickly. He obviously did not know the extent of my drinking. I mean, I was even hiding it from him from the very beginning. I would drink before I would go see him. He had no idea, just all sorts of things. But we ended up getting married in 2009. And Then I got a letter from my baby sister who was about 13 at the time saying she was worried about me. So I had, I thought I had been hiding my alcohol and my hiding of it. And I thought that people just thought I drank heavy and partied on the weekends or whatever, but she called me out and I went to an inpatient rehab only a year after I had been married to my current husband. Um, So that was pretty embarrassing. It was also an eye opener though. You know, I was like, okay, other people see what's going on with me. I I can't hide it anymore. I should probably, 
I, I came to an acceptance of sorts, I want to say, because I did complete that rehab and I stayed sober for about 22 months after that. I had my oldest daughter during that time as well. And so, well, I was sober for 22 months. I was cured. I had gone to rehab. I had got, I'd had counseling. I had figured out why I was drinking because I was coping with all of my past trauma. You know, I, I really thought I figured it out. So I'll be able to drink now. So I went back to drinking and I, it was my mission to convince everyone else too, that I could drink normal now. So for a while, I, I succeeded at that. I had serious rules for myself, you know, really buckled down and only drank normal, but eventually I started hiding it again. It just, that's, that's the disease. You want to drink more than how other people drink. And so you find a way to do that. Um, cut to, I was having, I had my second daughter in 2015 and I had severe postpartum depression with her and I didn't know that. And so I was drinking to cope with that. So again, my drinking continued to amplify. So this is the progression, you know, even more. Now my mental health is really, really bad. I'm having, you know, trigger warning, suicidal ideations. I'm running away from my house, like having visions of throwing myself in front of a car, just really scary, scary things. And I have a, a baby at home. I have a, a young toddler at home. So 2019, I was passed out on the couch at noon one day. My husband's like, I can't do this anymore. This, you know, this is a cycle of in the hospital, trying to get better in the hospital, trying to get better. So he called my sister and she took me in and I told the nurses I wanted to die and they go, they went ahead and admitted me. Um, so I went to the behavioral health unit for 72 hours against my will. And that was another wake up call. <laughs> um, my second big one. And I got sober again and we moved during that time. There's a quote that I like that says, you can't heal in the same place where you got sick. And I felt like I was really, really sick in the home that me and my husband were living in. And so we moved to this new house, everything was good. Well, I was cured again, right? Right, because now I had, I had been admitted. Hello, I'm not gonna let myself get to that point again. That's just ridiculous. So January 1st, New Year's, I drank again. Only four months, mind you, after being admitted for suicidal ideations. So a very, very quick relapse this time. Now we all know what happened in 2020. COVID hit. <laughs> and I mean, it became a shit show so fast. Again. Yeah, we always uh... saved my life in this area though. It really did because um, we thought the liquor stores were gonna close down and we only have, you can only get liquor at specific stores here, especially in Utah, it's even more strict in this state. So I told my husband to go out and stock up. I think he bought like 40 bottles of Captain Morgan. Um, I proceeded to drink a bottle a day <laughs> and found myself in the ER in the middle of COVID. Like that is scary freaking shit. I don't even know. So um, yeah, that was 
it was just crazy, crazy, crazy. And I woke up after a three-day bender surrounding Cinco de Mayo. I don't know if you guys are familiar with the holiday. It's a Mexican yeah. holiday. Yeah. I don't know why I ever celebrated it other than, than to just get wasted. It was just an excuse to drink. And I did it again and I woke up so sick and I should have gone to the hospital for sure. Probably my third time in that five months. And I just, I had a click. It just finally freaking clicked like, holy shit. <laughs> I can't do this. I cannot, I can't control it. I have zero ability. And so it was, yeah, it was there that I found acceptance and really decided to take recovery seriously and dive in. At that point, you've already kind of um, gotten some of the tools from, from past rehabs and, and whatnot. So what did you start to imp implement at that point for your recovery? So much. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm an all or nothing person. Like I am all in. Once I have clarity around something, it's like, okay, then let's just fucking do this and do it right because I don't want to fail <laughs> again. So uh, once I had clarity, um, first thing I, I had had a therapist because I got her after my stint in the BHU and I got honest with her. I told you, I was like, okay, I'm an alcoholic. I admit it. I got it. Now let's work on that. I started seeing her really frequently twice a week for a while. I also got a psychiatrist so that I could get on some medication um, because I was self-medicating for depression, anxiety, anger, sleep, just every, I mean, I was self-medicating for everything at that point. And so I even got on a craving shot too, because in the past I felt like I had relapsed due to cravings. And so I feel really fortunate to have found a psychiatrist that was willing to, you know, really get me on the right cocktail of prescription medication. Um, I'm off on my medication now. I was off at 15 months sober. So, you know, I just think that medication people need to do however it works for them. Like, don't be afraid of it or think that it's going to be forever. Or if it is forever, that's okay too. <laughs> Whatever works for you, you know? Um, so yeah, the, some of those were the big things. I also got into an IOP program, which I think was a big foundational tool because it was intensive. I needed something to do, to fill my time. It was also during COVID where nothing was really open, nothing was going on. So they were able to offer that through Zoom. And I did it three nights a week, three hours a night for like four months for the, in the very beginning. And that was, that was really big. Shay, um, so you have two kids? Two kids, yep, two, two girls. Uh, so how, how much better is your relationship with them now that you're sober and find joy every day in life? It's, um, it's a complete 180. Like they, they love me again. You know, they, they want to be around me again and they see the difference. I was the mom that would wake up in the morning for school and just literally be what begging their dad to take them because I couldn't, you know, or it was a fight. And for the last two years, I wake up before they wake up just because, and I gladly take them to school and it's enjoyable and we have positive mornings. And, you know, that's one of the very little things, but one of the habitual things that I find so much joy in today that I don't have, that I wake up with energy and I'm not miserable in the morning. So I can actually enjoy that time with my kids and they see that difference. And so they just respond so much differently to me. 
Um, one thing that's kind of cool is my husband actually left today for a music festival for five days with his friends. And this is a first in a dec in over a decade of parenthood of yeah. me being alone with my kids for more than one night, a very first. Like that's kind of crazy. Usually that's a little bit the other way around. Like a dad's not going to be home for yeah. the night, but it's me. And because I just couldn't be trusted and that's so sad, but now it's like, oh yeah, like peace out, go have fun with your friends. I just feel so happy that he has that freedom and that he can go and he doesn't have the weight or fear of what I might do with him gone. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of a, that was a big thing that happened that's happening right now. I find too, like even the, well, when I got sober, my daughter is like way happier now and you can just tell. So it's, it's kind of cool. And it makes you like actually realize how big of an impact your addiction put on other people too. Right. It's true. Their behavior is just better because they're happier because they have a happy parent, a present exactly. parent, someone yeah. who's actually they're not just trying to appease them and like, you know, just, okay, just whatever that I, that I was, that's how I was. It was just like, it, it was physically really there, but not mentally. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's a, one of my best blessings for sure. You mentioned that when you first went to rehab, you were a bit embarrassed. How do you go from being embarrassed going to rehab to, you know, creating, you know, your own website and your own Instagram account, promoting sobriety and, and being an advocate for it? Um, I think that that also came with acceptance and with letting go of the, of the idea that I would drink again someday. For so long, even though I would have these bouts of sobriety and I would be like, okay, I'm sober. It was always just to prove to someone that I didn't have a problem. It was never because I had come to an, a realization that this truly was not going to work for me and that it was affecting me in bad ways. I, I wasn't seeing the consequences clearly. And so once I finally realized that I was never going to drink again, and I started diving into recovery, I started my Instagram page at 126 days sober. So I had just completed my IOP. I had started a new business because I completed the IOP. And then I was like, oh crap, now I need to fill my time again. <laughs> so I started <laughs> a, a, a business and found that I enjoyed posting about that business on Instagram. And so I was like, Hey, you know, I feel good in my sobriety right now. I'm learning a lot. I think that this is something that I would like to share. And I think that it will help me stay accountable. So it was a little kind of a, it was a little selfish at first. I'm not gonna lie. It was like, I'm learning <laughs> every day and I might as well write it down a little bit of a journal. Um, but keep me accountable. And it just, it, that's how it started off. And that's kind of how it's remained, but I just find a lot of joy in helping people and um, teaching what I've learned along the way, really. I find too, you have to be like selfish in sobriety from my experience so far. Yeah. Like not a, not a bad selfish, a good selfish, right? Well, I think that I was so selfish in my addiction. <laughs> yeah. I didn't realize it. I, it, it was, I wasn't selfish because I would give money to my friends freely, whatever, like buy friendship or like, I wasn't selfish because I was cleaning the house constantly and taking care of my husband. But this was just really to like make up for all the other things. Like, you know, 
the selfishness now is actually the kind that benefits my family because I'm taking care of myself in order to actually take care of them now. So I think it's a, just a different way of looking at selfishness and it's probably, it's okay. Shay, can you dive into um, what a sober coach all entails and maybe the difference between maybe that and like a, a sponsor, let's say, or. Yeah. So I have sober coach on my profile simply because I want people to know that they can reach out to me in my DMs and I'm happy to support them, tell them what's worked for me. Um, I don't ever expect what's worked for me to always work for anyone else. I try to meet people where they are um, and let them know maybe what tools might work for them for their situation. Um, a coach is not necessarily trained. There are certifications. We very happy to say uh, there's a program here in Utah that's fully funded by the government um, where you can get your recovery. It's called a peer support specialist certification. So that's basically recovery coaching here in Utah. I'm going to be attending that program here in July. So once I get my certification, that's when I'll actually be launching a program for one-on-one -on -one coaching. So right now I just kind of do it free on Instagram, in my DMs for those people that are at a point where they know that they that something needs to change and they just aren't quite sure what to do. But I don't have necessarily that therapy training for any um, past stuff. Coaching is more about looking forward and discovering where you are right now and the next steps. If someone's like really struggling and is messaging you, but like they want to get help they want to be sober but they just can't do it how do you go about answering that type of question like say you know what I mean yeah because I have I have so many people that ask me and message me about that kind of stuff but it's so hard like you just I just like say I'm here if you need to talk or whatever but you don't want to like get too carried away with it because you don't want it to affect yourself. So like, how do you go about doing that? Yeah, for sure. I, I've gotten really honest about if I can help someone and if I can't, if they're at a point where I just, it, it's not something that I'm able to help them with, I'll try to point them a direction in a direction of finding a therapist, finding, you know, a doctor, someone with a little bit more training. Um, but I also think, like you said, it's just about say telling people, you know, I tried this for a long time. What happened, what worked for me is I had to get to a point where I realized that moderation was not a thing. For me, that took a lot. That took me making 5,000 rules and breaking them 5,000 times. Some people only need to make their rules a couple of times and they're like, oh, this doesn't fucking work. So I'm not going to keep doing it. Some of us, it just takes a lot longer. <laughs> so if I had that magic potion, I would be rich. If I had that, that answer that was like, oh, here's what you do. And then you'll be, you know, then you can move on. I think we could solve a lot of problems. I just, unfortunately, I, I, I have to be honest with people and say it, it takes getting to whatever bottom it, it is for you. And for me this time also, my husband was sick to death of me. He was putting up with me for a long time, but he was just like ready to move me out of this house. Like I can't have you interrupting our lives anymore. So it really, it just depends, you know? But I think once people start thinking about it, 
that's the first step. At least they're acknowledging that something's not working. And I try to go off of that and ask questions. <laughs> and then there's just kind of, kind of let them discover it through questions. Shay, how, um, how supportive has your husband been in your recovery? So supportive. Oh my gosh. I have the best. I, I'm very, very fortunate that he has stuck with me for as long as he has. I put him through a lot. I put him through the ringer. He, I think what was also a big change was him letting go. He had a lot of codependent tendencies. Um, and I very much don't. And when he finally was like, I'm dropping this, do what you want, kill yourself. <laughs> like, I'm not going to, I'm not going to keep on hiding the alcohol from you and you finding it and me being pissed. Like I'm leaving the handle of whiskey out. And if you're going to drink half a handle of whiskey during the day, whatever, like kill yourself, you know? And that was unfortunately kind of like, damn, like he, it, I needed him to stop pushing so hard to, to fix me. Every relationship's different every person is different in that way. But even though he stopped doing that, he never stopped loving me and he never stopped um, believing in me that I, I would get there someday. He had faith because he knew I had it in me. So I'm just really lucky that he stuck by my side. Um, and since getting sober, you know, he's great with just letting me do my thing, letting me recover how I need to. He doesn't understand the social media thing a whole lot. It's kind of like, oh my gosh, like you are putting your whole life out there. You are just telling all these stories and like, okay, that's not his, that's not his thing. And so he doesn't get it, but he's totally supportive of it because he sees how much it helps me. And he'd much rather see me where I'm at today than where I was previously. He sounds like a pretty awesome guy. He is. So good. That was a sweet answer. It got me all just emotional that time. Reminded me <laughs> of my relationship, man. Yeah, yeah. me. <laughs> yeah, that was really sweet. Shay's story is like, like giving me like crazy deja vu because it's like somewhat basically dead on to how mine played through a little bit. I hear just that like often the, and I get convoluted feelings about it. Like, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry you relate to all of that, you know, but then at the same time, it's like, oh, good. Like, we need that. We need to be able to relate so that we don't feel alone. And that's what yeah. I freaking love about the recovery community is so many of our stories can resonate and are so similar that it just feels good to know that all that shit we went through isn't just us. Yeah, like the hiding, the hiding the alcohol, that was a big one for me. And I, I thought I was sober for like three months. Like I was, and then everyone was like, oh, you're an idiot because we all knew. Yeah. So your brain does crazy things and thinks so crazy when you're in active addiction. It's wild to think about. I love and then it hearing now. stories like yours is like, holy shit. It's like almost the same thing. And I'm yeah. like, oh my God. It is crazy. And now people <laughs> razz me I've just about been sitting it. here like. <laughs> <laughs> I relate. I relate. Yeah. I know. <laughs> uh, 
Yeah. Like my, my sister's my, giving me shit too now. And I'm like, oh my God, like relax. They're like, no, we can because you were insane and you did not see it. You were like, yeah. you thought you were hiding it so well. Like, oh, let me go to the bathroom 500 times. Who needs to go to the bathroom 500 times in a two hour period? <laughs> Good God. Not really. My girlfriend found like 50 Mickeys of vodka just hiding <laughs> around and then like, oh, just craziness. It's like you think you're hiding it, no, you're not at all. Yeah. Pretty. Uh, we are not smart. No. <laughs> just forget about where you hide it, and someone else finds it. <laughs> I made a post about that recently, that I was finding alcohol for a long time after I quit, even, and I was like, Jesus, like, how did you even come up with this hiding spot? <laughs> yeah. I did have one more question. Um, were you able, how has your relationship been with your parents since, uh, since getting into recovery? Great question. My mom and I have become so close. She, you know, she really had to distance herself from me because there was a lot of transference with how I behaved and how my dad behaved. They actually got divorced when I was just um, shortly after my first rehab. So shortly after 2010. Um, so I was an adult and all that, but she, she put up with my dad for a long time and his addictions. And so she really distanced herself, but ever, but since getting sober and her realizing that it's for real this time, like it, I've, it, it's different. Um, we go to lunch together, you know, she's really opened up and, um, we're friends, which is just so, so cool. I never thought that we'd get here. Um, my father, unfortunately, he still suffers from some of his addictions. He's not quite in a place where he's healthy yet. Um, and I just feel for him. I hope for him. And I just have to keep my boundaries up a little bit. I do have to guard myself there. It's important that I keep my recovery first. And I just hope that he will see my example and come around someday. Jay, I got a question. You were talking earlier about, uh, Ever, like how you got you got sober and then you thought you were fixed so you tried it again and you did it multiple times I've done that multiple times before but it wasn't for those long periods this is the longest I've been sober for like 10 or 12 years um but I I'm scared the most of just one day waking up and thinking I'm fixed so what do you think like do you just got to practice all your tools every single day and just work hard at it so that like none of those things will happen. Like how did, how did it gradually happen for you? Yeah, I was different. I was different yeah. than everyone else. So like, I was going to figure out a way, you know, yeah. that was my thing. I, I was bound and fucking determined to just drink normal, whatever that means. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, it, it was just a matter time it was yeah. it was just doing it was messing up over and over again and seeing that every time I would get sober and then I would go back to drinking it would evolve and spiral faster and it was just evidence over 16 years of trying and it failing every time and then the suicidal ideations, you know, my mental health really getting bad was, was scary for me. That, that was, I don't want to be there. That's not a good place. And then, um, yeah, actually getting to acceptance that moderation won't work. The neural pathways in my brain 
are forever changed. Like that helps me. That helps me to know that you no, know, even if I haven't drank for 30 years, if I go back to drinking those neural pathways, even though they're, they'll have like way, you know, lessened, they're still there. No matter what, that helps me to know that it's not my fault. It's not something I can learn to do. I can't learn. My brain is different. So yeah, I am different. Like I thought I was different in the other way, but no, I, I am different because I cannot <laughs> drink. So that helps me. That's awesome. I was just going to say for myself, I, you know, we have our guests on, I try to take a little bit of everything. It's kind of like my, I, I kind of, I haven't been going to meetings, let's say too much recently. Uh, and these have kind of been my meetings and, and uh, you know, you're, you sharing your story in the part of, you know, going back and drinking kind of like Jerry was talking about. Um, I found it super helpful because at times now with this nice weather, I'm at the cottage and it's like, <laughs> maybe I can, you know, and I haven't had one and I haven't really had a, a super big craving, but you know, it's always there a little bit. And I think you sharing your story like that, you know, it has helped me and I think it'll help a lot of people just be like, okay, Shay says, you know, don't do it. So <laughs> I'm so glad. I'm, I'm glad that that, that helps anything that I say helps. That's why I do this. That's honestly, and it helps me to know that it helps other people too. That's the biggest thing I think in recovery is this constant cycle of just helping each other by, by acknowledging that this is real and it's hard. And we, th that stuff does come up like, yeah, it, our pool is being built. I'm like, damn, like, I know all my friends are going to be out there with their white claws all summer. And I'll be like, okay, with my Mountain Dew, whatever, assholes, enjoy. That's like, <laughs> uh, I think if, if you can get through the summer, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't know. I don't, I don't go it. around alcohol, yeah. but like, and I don't want to drink it, but it's like, definitely if I was around it in the summer, it would definitely be hard. Like, right. Um, yeah, it is. I think it comes with time too. like allow yeah. yourself to heal. You know, I, I just reached two years sober and it was only recently that I am. Thanks. <laughs> it was only recently that I did start feeling comfortable being around people though. So don't like, I don't think it's a bad thing to not want to be around it for a while. Like don't push yourself. Don't put yourself in situations that's going to fuck your recovery. Like, you know, <clears throat> yeah. If you're honest with yourself enough to know that you can't drink, be honest enough with yourself to know what your triggers are and not place yourself in harm's way. Yeah. Like I went out with a couple friends, like, I don't know, a month ago. And I was, they had a couple beers and I was like, kind of I don't know I could smell them and I was like eh, eh. and then I had was having dreams about it so I'm like no not again yeah, not happening it's not fun to be around those people no. anymore it's like no you realize that that was fun because you participated but that's not fun anymore and no. you do start to find other ways of having fun which I was so afraid of too I was like what am I ever gonna do I'm like nothing nothing's gonna be exciting I went skydiving I mean I've done I've traveled sober I've gone I've been able to go to galas I've I've done all sorts of shit sober that I never thought I would do and I, it's been enjoyable it's actually been enjoyable I remember it I I'm I'm there I'm participating I'm not like just numbed out to the world so it's, and woke up feeling great the next day oh, 
best part of sobriety is no hangovers. <laughs> yeah. Legit. It was so amazing to wake up and actually not have stomach cramps and like pounding headache every day. Gosh, I don't miss it. No, me neither. Shay, I have a question. <laughs> Shocker. And um, <laughs> so, you know, you grew up in this religious family and like spirituality and like the higher power thing is kind of like, it's pretty big in recovery. Um, how has it been for you? Crazy. I'm okay. not going to lie. It has been a lot of soul searching a lot of letting go of what I was taught and what I was raised with. And I have trauma around because when I first got sober in 2010 and it was very much about the steps, you know, sober Instagram and a lot of the platforms that we have online and stuff for recovery weren't around. So AA was still very, very much the program of choice. I don't have anything against AA either. Now I think it's great for the right people if it works for you. But I did have a big problem with the spirituality aspect of it because I wanted nothing to do with God or anything about that. Um, so I did definitely um, shun that idea, I guess you would say. And even this last time around, um, I did attend AA religiously for like the first five months of sobriety, just because I needed to find that community in my area. I just needed to be around people that were like me. Um, so that was good. But what really helped me was in therapy, I was able to drop the God thing and I was able to just kind of accept it as spirituality because I always have believed in being a good person and what you put out there comes back in karma in universal, whatever that, you know, whatever that energy is. I, that's, that's what speaks to my soul, I guess you would say. And so when I was able to put that in there and not make it so much about religion maybe or, or or even god i needed to be able to do that um so that's what i found to be best for me was just finding stuff outside of myself and spirituality in karmic and cosmic relationships um i think that's one of the biggest problems in recovery is the like the god thing and people don't understand it but it's like spirituality so anything like your spirituality or your higher power could be anything like it could be this cell phone in front of me or this book here mm -hmm. like it could be anything that you want it to be right and as long as so I think that's what a lot of people struggle with is understanding that and that does take a while like even when I was in rehab I got I don't know. I just said like you do these check-ins and it'd be like mentally, physically, emotionally, spiritually. And I would just say I'm riding a wave because I didn't understand spirituality, but I'm starting to understand it more and it can be anything you want it to be. It can, it can be one of my favorite things to tell people too is think about nature, right? It's more about just finding the little miracles in everyday life that, mm -hmm is what it's about now it doesn't have to even yeah it doesn't have to be about god or a thing even it just it's yeah. about opening up to the good to the goodness in the world i think we've been in the dark 
for so long in our addictions that it's coming to the light. And that's what they mean. And I think that that's what needs to be um, addressed in that arena, not so much like shoving more God down people's throats. Yeah, that's an excellent point. I find yeah. to your, like when you push, it's tough to push like the, the God thing on some people who are just trying to get out of like the worst shit of their life, right? You're like, I don't, I don't know about this. It can turn people off. And yeah. I've actually seen that happen um, in, in the program <laughs> mm -hmm. where people just can't get their head around it. And so they just stop doing it and then they lose the community. Um, and so I also tell people, you know, different home groups are different too. Not, not all home groups have their same things and they're not all as um, strict about certain stuff too. Find your people, find, it's okay if one group doesn't work to search for another group. And I think that that's, important too that we don't just stop trying if something doesn't work like take what take what does work and we and leave the rest as they say like who cares about what doesn't work <laughs> Shay I was um I was scrolling through your website earlier amazing job oh thanks um you have a ton of resources there for people looking so guys if you're ever looking for help or anything um check out say shaysober.com um yeah that was really it was really amazing thank you guys do we have any more questions for shay no just a big thank you yeah, yeah thank big, you very much that was awesome yeah, thank you so much you did an amazing job appreciate and it thanks we're very so much thankful for having me on it was us. fun to chat great awesome guys if you or someone you know is struggling with addiction please reach out and ask for help thank you so much for listening everyone